0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to talk about um, one of the uh, most uh, dominant aspects of our culture today, um, which is which is fame, and uh, try to uh, analyze it. Um, w- we're living in a uh, a, a period uh, in contemporary um, society that that I, I would describe as a uh, as, as the cult of celebrity. And um, by way of by way of evidence um, or support for this, uh, I wish I could quote you the the institute that uh, did this survey. It's a sort of a nationally recognized real uh, organization, and they they did a uh, interview a poll with um, with kids, and they asked them, "What would you most like to be when you when you grow up?" And um, you know, when I was growing up, a, a a standard answer to that question would be a a policeman or a lawyer or a doctor or a fireman or a baseball player or, or something like this. And it, it blew my mind that the number one answer of kids today growing up when they were asked, what would you like to be when you grow up? They answered famous. Which is like, you know, it's like to me that's that's such an out of the box answer to that question. It's like, would you like an apple or a banana? and they'll say, I'd like a piece of real estate. You know, wait, I didn't, I didn't know that that was one of the choices, you know? Like, I was talking occupation, and you answered famous. And I was sharing this with, um, with, with some of the clever yesterday, and someone said, nodded their head and said, right, rich and famous. And I said, no, it didn't. they didn't say rich and famous. And maybe rich is included in their notion of famous, that could be. But but they just said famous. And, um, you know, if you look at a lot of our quote-unquote celebrities today, a lot of them are famous for being famous. They, they're, they, they're not people of... Um, and I don't mean this in a critical way or in a judgmental way. I'm just, you know, just, just relative to what it's been in the past. They, they, by and large, are not people of great accomplishment, like they've written symphonies or you know, they've done some great work, they they sort of, you know, I, I, I remember a definition for uh, what is a bestseller. So, I, I heard this definition, which is that a bestseller is a book that sells sells well because it's selling well. You know, so it's sort of like celebrities today are, are famous because they've become photographed. You know what I mean? I, in other words, there's no... There's no there there for the most part. So, so anyway, so the question is given the fact that this is a real thing today, this is not, this is not a joke. This is a very real thing that people want to become famous, um, for its own sake, as opposed to, I want to be great at this. And then fame is usually a natural, Result of greatness in a particular field. That That's not what people seem to be saying. They, they just want that, that um, wide level of recognition. And by the way, you know, having dealt with many, many famous people over my career, I can tell you that being famous is really no, it's really no treat. I mean, for the most part, you get your life taken away from you. And it's, uh, I, I don't want to dwell on this, but it's... Um, it's not what it's cracked up to be. It's it's actually a fairly toxic uh, existence. And um, if you look at the track record of people who are becoming famous today, especially young people, and the high correlation between their fame and um, drug drug addiction and, um, you know, nude photographs, and <laughs> all, all sorts of dissipation and... And, and, and literal madness, madness, that seems to accompany it, you, you'll see is just, you know, you, you'll see that it's, it's really quite a difficult existence, oddly enough. Um, so, so, the question is, I want to look at this on a, on, a, on a deeper level, and ask this question, why, why is fame and fame for its own sake become such a, a, a lust... For people growing up today in in, in, in contemporary society, what, what are the what are the spiritual roots to this malady, if you will? Um, so so uh, this is my own analysis, but I, I'd like to throw out some suggestions. And one of them is, in terms of again, just sort of setting the table for what the issue is before we go more deeply into it, trying to um, explore another. Another uh, contemporary um, trend in today's society, which, which, which is coexisting with this, you know, with this craze for fame. And I don't think it's a coincidence that these two things are occupying our cultural landscape at the same time. And, and again, the solution that, that, that I'm going to offer or the analysis addresses really both of these things. So the other thing that's on the cultural radar these days is this militant strain of atheism which is um, becoming more and more widespread. And um, as, as sort of as evidence, I would just point to, I don't even want to name the authors or, or the books, but there have been a string of New York Times bestsellers all premised on the complete denial of the existence of God. And um, as one of my co-workers pointed out recently, which I thought was very, very interesting, he said that you know it used to be that someone who was an atheist or who didn't believe in God <clears throat> said, you know what, I don't believe, but if you believe, that's that's your business. Now the attitude has become a little bit different. Now it's I don't believe, and if you believe, you're an idiot, which is which is a again it's a, it's a different it's a different place than it's been previously. So. You know, just what, what, what I think is um, so laughable. You know, there's another word, and it's a, the word is agnostic. Agnostic means someone who sort of has kind of labeled themselves as a doubter. I don't think so, but I don't know. And, you know, for people to have doubts in terms of their faith is, is natural and, and normal. God, after all, gives us free choice because He wants us to derive His existence from, from this amazing cornucopia of, of creation that surrounds us, to realize that there's a unifying intelligence being that informs everything. God, in His wisdom, wants us to reach this conclusion. So, so necessarily, that re- leaves room for doubt. Doubt is one of the things that one must cope with to arrive at the truth. God has deliberately constructed the universe in a way where that becomes the process that we go along. So to be an agnostic, to question, and even perhaps to lean toward not believing, that, okay, I, I hear that. But but someone who's a actual atheist, who can say with certainty that there is no God, <laughs> is quite wondrous to me. I mean, without hurling invectives or insults back and saying that, you know, well, he's just as closed-minded as we are, so I want to be careful not to fall into that trap. Nonetheless, one must really... One's jaw must fall agape at the certainty that this... Let's say he's a college graduate. Wow! You know, that he's reached that level of intellectual achievement that... (laughs) that this person knows. You know, I mean I I, I I I I can't say anything more about that. Okay. So so I mean we're lucky to have such giants in our midst. You know, really. And 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 anyway, so 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 we have these two things on our cultural radar right now and I'm going to suggest that they're, they are they are linked, in fact, um, and then go deeper into presenting a an explanation. I think for the phenomena that we're seeing, which is which is we have more than ever. People are actually saying that their goal in life is to become famous, kids, and that um, and that also this increasing militant denial. Um, about the existence of God. Now, it's going to sound like I'm changing subjects, but in fact, I'm addressing the point that I've been building up to since we started the talk, which is really good news. We all live forever. (laughs) That's the good news. We are, in fact, immortal. You don't have to be bitten by a vampire. (laughs) You are already immortal. Immortal. Okay? It's true. The soul that you have within you, this peace of God, exists absolutely forever. It exists forever. And, you know, at a certain point, one sheds their body and continues to exist. That's just reality. That's not faith-based. That's not wow, I, I'd like to believe it. I'd like to think that that's true. That's that's what it is. We live forever. And um, I've been reading an essay, I'm still in the middle, but from the Tiferes Yisrael, who is one of the great Rebbeim, um, about 200 years ago, uh, maybe a little less. And, uh, and he gives certain examples to present the fact that we are immortal. And... And one of them, I just—I'll just read this to you. Um, this is a translation. It's in a—I'm reading you from an, uh, a book by uh, Rabbi Ari Kaplan. It's page eighty-three. It's called Immort- "Immortality, Resurrection in the Age of the Universe: A Kabbalistic View." Um, so this is a translation of an essay from the Tiferes Yisrael, and he says, "From our own experience, we know that we're immortal." You ready for this? From our own experience. All our activities and preoccupations, thoughts and speech, all of them are pursued as though we are certain that we will live forever. We habitually speak of our deaths with confidence, and not only when we are calm and at peace, but even when we are being entertained and enjoying ourselves. We are capable of contemplating our deaths at that very moment, while filling our mouths with joy. In other words, if a person really knew they were going to die, they would be very depressed. They wouldn't calmly discuss their death at moments of joy. Yeah, you know, after I'm gone and, you know, you get my, you know, my watch, you know. People, (laughs) that would be a very devastating thought in the middle of a conversation. It would stop the conversation if we actually believed it. You know, people talk about kids, how kids never think they're going to die. But, and, and, Oftentimes, we associate that with immaturity or lack of experience or foolhardiness, whereas that's actually the truth. And as we get older, we sort of understand that it happens. We see, you know, we should know from it, but we see parents or we see, you know, relatives, whatever it is, go. And then the reality starts to creep in. But there is a certain aspect of us that never believes it. And so the Teferi Yisrael is saying something very, very fascinating. He's saying that that's actually your soul telling you the truth. Your soul knows that it really isn't going anyplace. And that's why, on some very meaningful level, you never actually buy into your own mortality. I I love that because it's it's sort of like... It's so deep. I think it's so deep. It's so deep and it's so real and everyone can relate to it and that doesn't involve any sort of like intellectual gymnastics to arrive at that point. It's just like there it is. And what I love about it also is because having grown up and heard so many times thinking, "Oh, well kids think that." And so really knowing that feeling and yet having it invalidated over so many years and then hearing him point to that as an actual Cogent proof of the truth of it. He gives another example. He actually gives many, many examples. But one of the the things that he observed, and this is now, remember, this is in the 1800s, one of the things that he observed is that um, you can't actually destroy anything. So imagine, imagine you take um, whatever it is. Let's say you... um, whatever it is, a leaf. You take a leaf, you chop it up. There's still leaf there. You set it on fire. Now it's ash, but there's still something there. You pulverize it, you grind it into powder. It's still powder. You can never actually get rid of anything. Which is quite interesting. And he says if that's true for something that's inanimate, how much more so is it true for something like the soul? Again, something just so simple. So simple. And yet, if you think of it just on that level, it's true. Well, where does it go? Where does it go? It's true. It, it, it doesn't completely disappear. So, 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 what's going on? So, if we really live forever, and we do... Then, and by the way, you should just know, in our tradition, there are two stages to eternal life. Okay? Let's just get that down for our basic educations here. One is, a person, after 120, we should all live long, we get buried, and then our soul ascends to a place called the Olam Hanashamos, which means the world of souls. Sometimes it's called Gan Eden. Um, that's sort of like that's 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 a great place, and um, you know one is able to sort of like receive tremendous light from Hashem, learn Torah with God. You become uh, just this vessel um, for light, and uh, and it's well. I guess I don't have to sell heaven to you, right? <laughs> But it's got a great reputation, you know? So so that's 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 heaven. But then there's this next stage, which is which is reincarnation. See a lot of us tend to, no I'm sorry, I said reincarnation, I didn't mean that. That can be the next stage, by the way. But then there's a more final, ultimate stage, which is the resurrection of the dead, where we return back into bodies and then we live in our bodies forever. And then there are different opinions on that. Do we actually stay physical bodies? Some say we do. Some say we don't. Some say that our soul goes back into our bodies. We start off as bodies. And then we become spiritually refined more and more and more and more until our physicality sort of like gets dissolved into light. And, but we always remain ourselves. This is a very, this is a very, very important um, notion. You know, believe it or not, a lot of the Jewish world and a lot of the world, unfortunately, this is, these are, um, parts that that don't have the basic tenets of Judaism down. Unfortunately, don't even know that Jewish people believe in an afterlife. You know, and it's uh, it's quite alarming since this is such a basic premise about our religion. But but anyway, um, so the notion is. Is that you have really two stages? You have you have this this period after a person leaves this world, and then you have down the line a further period where you have the resurrection of the dead itself, where you go back into a body, or however we're to understand that, where that's a purely spiritual existence, or actually begins back. No matter what, it begins back in the body. But um, but anyway, and then we live forever. But, here's the important piece of information that a lot of people don't know. Which is that you maintain your level of consciousness. In other words, the good news is, or maybe it's bad news, but if it's bad news, you better turn it into good news fast. You stay you. (laughs) Meaning, if you can't live with yourself right now, (laughs) you'd better work on that. (laughs) Um one doesn't disappear into the light and become absorbed in the cosmic consciousness of God and not have a sense of self anymore. In other words, one sense of self becomes quite expanded and you really see the, the fullness of it all, right? You don't see God per se, because God is beyond infinite, but you see a level of God that is not imaginable in this world. But the point is, is that you don't, you, Y-O-U, fill in your name here, don't disappear. You maintain a level of self-consciousness, if that's the proper term, which is very important because you might think, well, I guess I live forever, but I'm not me anymore. No, you're still you. And in fact, I heard something, what I thought was very, very beautiful, which is that, how does one soul recognize another soul in the next world? If you don't have a body anymore, you know? So, somehow, and you know, this is obviously existing in another dimension, so whatever terminology I describe it with, you, you just have to just, just imagine, right? Because we don't, we, we don't know how this works exactly. But on your soul will be imprinted somehow all of the mitzvahs that you ever did. And so we will recognize each other by the mitzvahs that we did. So you'll know your mother because it will be imprinted on her somehow, right, in whatever way it, it is in that dimension. Oh, you're the one who gave birth to me! Mom! So, so we'll recognize each other by our, our, all the good things that we did which is great because it really shows you that you are what you do in this world forever. And in fact, I've mentioned it before, it's one of my favorite things. I heard it from Rabbi Wein that there was a custom of the Jews of Provence in the south of France that they would make their coffins out of their Shabbos tables. And that that because your Shabbos table was sort of like the headquarters of Chesed that you do in this world. Or that's you know that's how they thought of it, and so since you leave this world with the chesed, with the kindness that you do in this world, how appropriate it is to be buried in your kindnesses, so to speak, enwrapped in your kindnesses. So 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 that's an example of that. Okay, so I want to go further into this notion because I've sort of put introduced three ideas, and I want to show you how they connect. Okay. The first idea that we discussed was this obsession with fame that's going on today. The second idea that we discussed is this increasingly militant strain of atheism, of denial of God that's also going on today. The third idea that we discussed is this notion, lying at the roots of this, I would suggest, which is the immortality of the soul. So how do all three of these things connect? Well... The thing is, is that people, people's souls today, who don't know about religion, they don't know that they are in fact immortal, but they feel it inside of them. They look, how can I express that in this world? How can I achieve that in this world? My soul is telling me that I have it. I long for it. I hear from sources that there is no next world so how do i achieve this thing that my soul is telling me is true how do i achieve it i make a platinum selling record i get it. i star in a movie i i do one of these things where my work outlasts me and endures and through that, I will achieve immortality. Now, again, I'm not saying this is a conscious thought. This is something that's just percolating in on a soul level, in the unconscious mind. And so, so, so there's a direct correlation with the denial of God and the need for fame. Because where else is the soul going to be able to, its desire to to express its desire? To endure forever. They don't understand that they have it anyway. You have it anyway. So, by the way, I just want to say one thing, which is that if a person, you know, God blesses us with different different talents and different, different personality traits. You know, a lot of people, if you ask them, like doctors, for instance. I know this This, this is especially true because I've seen this. If you ask people who are doctors, a lot of times you say, when, di- when did you decide to be a doctor? They'll say, I always wanted to be a doctor. You know, and teachers also are like that. When did you want to be a teacher? I always wanted to be a teacher. So God blesses humanity with desires, you know, oftentimes from an early age. Not always, but oftentimes from an early age. And there are all these different Sort of sectors of, of of civilization that that have to be filled in order for us to work together and provide for each other's needs. And God naturally gifts us with those desires to fill in all the different all the different channels to come together so that we can all work together harmoniously. One of those things is actually is actually to entertain is to entertain, you know. Laughter is a very holy thing. It, it, it's a, it's quite a good thing. So, so I guess the, the reason why I'm saying this right now is the, those of us who who enjoy performing or whatever it is. I'm not saying that that's a pathology. <laughs> I think that that's an important <laughs> statement to make because don't, don't derive that from what I'm saying. You know, if, if a person is a gifted actor or actress or a musician, or whatever it is, that there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's normal. However, to, to sort of just want to be famous, that, that's where it gets a little bit more complicated. That, that, that's the part that has to be looked into. Um, you know, um, Spee was telling me a, a, a great quote, which, uh, which I really enjoyed. Uh, it's from Woody Allen. He says that, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve it through not dying. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I really, I appreciate that. Um, okay, I want to, um, I want to go a little bit further. And, uh, you know, I heard uh, Rabbi Tversky from Denver, well, he was from Denver at that point anyway, uh, speak a while ago. And um, he, said, he said that someone who was, uh, he was talking with a person who was Jewish, who uh, Christian uh, missionaries were, were working on this particular guy, trying to get him to abandon his Judaism, uh, which they, they shouldn't do that. Um, and and uh, this person was confused. And he spoke with Rabbi Twersky, and he he said to Rabbi Twersky, they tell me that unless I convert to Christianity, you know, I, I don't have a place in the next world. And... Um, and uh, Rabbi Twersky showed him, you know, it says in Per Kavos, that, that all of us, every Jew has a place in the next world. And you should know that Judaism, this is something that you can be very proud of, by the way. Judaism, unlike many, many, many world religions, says that the righteous of other religions have a place in Olam as well, in the world to come as well. The righteous of other religions. So that's a... You know, a lot of other religions have this, like, exclusivity clause, which is really, if you think about it, kind of counterfeit. You know, because someone who's genuinely good in a real universal, authentic vision, how can they how can they be knocked out? How can they be knocked out? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And so you should know, you should know that that our tradition is not like that, you know. Um, I heard Rev Shlomo say one time that um, if you think of like a beauty pageant, everyone is rooting for for them to win, for themselves to win. And he says, "By us, we're rooting for everyone to win," <laughs> which is it's a just a different just a different take. So now. If you know you're going to live forever, there are two main conclusions practically that you must draw. One, you can't take life so seriously. Number two, you must take life very seriously. (laughs) Let me explain. You can't take life so seriously means the ups and downs you know, you know, this person's walked by me today. You know, it's quite amazing how we surrender our self-esteem in the most ridiculous, meaning, meaningless interactions. Like, you know, that dry cleaner really, really did not treat me with the proper level of respect. <laughs> you know, I'm really going to have to, you know... Safety pin my resume on my stained shirt, so he knows who he's dealing with. You know, it, but and it, it's an it's it's an unfortunate trait that we really have to you know be more on top of how much we put our entire self esteem up for grabs. On a regular basis, and um, you know, the, the best example of this, I think, is um, Humen. We don't want to be like Humen, you know, in a zillion different ways, but 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 this th- dynamic that I'm talking about is most vividly illustrated by him, where. He was one of the richest people probably ever, but certainly in the world at that time. Maybe second to the king. I mean, he was hugely, hugely rich. He was second to the king in terms of influence. And remember, the king ruled over basically more or less the known world at that time, 127 countries, okay? And uh, and he had a huge family. I mean, he, you know, he... He had a lot of stuff going for him. And there was one person, as you all know, Mordecai, who didn't bow down to him. And he says to his wife, what good is all that I have if this person doesn't bow down to me? Which Which is quite amazing. And yet, here's the depressing part, kind of not... We sort of do a version of that ourselves. Let me give you another version of it. Imagine you've, you've done a lot of, every one of us has done a lot of stuff in their lives. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Imagine, like, let's give a sort of a, a, a way of visualizing this. You're at a casino in Las Vegas, and you've got a big pile of chips. Let's say these are all the things that you've accomplished in your life. Can you imagine sliding them all in front of you? And putting them up for grabs, your everything you've ever accomplished, on every single role of the you know, every single interaction, like playing double or nothing, with everything you've ever accomplished, just based on some sort of like. Anyway, I think I think I think you guys are getting my point. So, so we have to stop doing that. We have to have a little more confidence. In ourselves and a little more perspective. You know, a rabbi once uh, uh, gave this counsel that there are, you know, we know that we have to love each other, and especially there's a a mitzvah among Jews to love each other, since we're really one family. Um, And yet there are some people who are quite bothersome. And so this. This rabbi gave the following advice, which I thought was really great. He said, Certain people you can love from afar. <laughs> you know, if someone brings you down on a regular basis, it is not your obligation to to strive to be their best friend. Don't start start with don't hating them. <laughs> you know? Start there. <laughs> don't leap to best friend. You know what I mean? Start there, and then build from there. Be real, okay? Because the problem is is that, well, anyway, the, the thing that I want to address right here is this first idea of not taking life as seriously. And to the extent that, um, to the extent that um, we don't always get what we want, well, that's, that's in this chapter of our lives. That's in this chapter of our lives, you know? And, and if a person has a broader perspective, um, they're going to be much happier. Okay, number two is taking life way more seriously. Because if we understand that all of eternity is essentially going to be us sort of bathing in the riches that we accumulated during this lifetime, I once thought of, you know, everyone's ulama ba, everyone's next world is going to be different and it's going to be made out of the good things that you did in this world. So I I once thought of this lifetime as the great furnishing expedition. We're where essentially... Accumulating furniture and decorating our eternal <laughs> our eternal existence, you know? It's like you went out of way, your way for someone. That is an incredible hundred foot tall waterfall you now have in your living room. <laughs> you know? You like rainbows? We got rainbows. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Keep Shabbos. What you know what whatever it is everything that you do is going to translate into an aspect of your eternal reality. And that is going to be your consciousness forever. And so if you're focused on that, you will take every opportunity to do something good and to avoid doing something not so good, in this world, you'll take it very seriously because that's what we're going to be living with forever. Forever. That's, that's really it. That's really it. In other words, you can say, okay, this is the real reality and then there's this other part. Or you can say, if that goes on forever, That's kind of the real reality. And this part is... You know, it feels kind of long. But this part is kind of short. So maybe I should use this as the proper trampoline, as the proper leverage point for where it's going. As it says, who is the wise person? The wise person is the one who sees ahead. Um... I just want to wrap it up and tell you something personal. Um, There was the period in my life where, you know, I I won't give you my whole uh, spiritual journey here, but I'll shorthand it. Um, When I was when I was eight years old, uh, a neighbor had sent us um, the Lubavitcher Children's Magazine, Talks and Tales. And uh, I started reading Hasidic stories then, and that was my introduction to Hasidus. And just loved it, and I learned more in a story or two than my whole, you know, um, whatever else I was learning. That, That seemed to convey the reality of God and the fact that He was intimately involved with every aspect of our lives, just perfectly clearly. And then when I was about 14... I started going to Reb Shalom which was across the street. That same neighbor sent us there. And Reb Shlomo was saying over these Hasidic stories and teachings. And so, and I remember dancing with the Torah and Simchas Torah when I was 14 and just feeling like this is my whole life. And, but it was a kind of a slow period. I didn't have a formal background, formal education. So it took a, took a long time, even though it's what I most wanted. And I was fortunate enough to, um, well, I'm going to say this in a really grandiose way, so pardon me, but I'm trying to make a point here. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get everything that I wanted, meaning to say that I had some highfalutin goals. I wanted to go to Harvard, I wanted to write out in Hollywood, I wanted to hang out with fancy people and things like that. And, And I was fortunate enough to get all those things. And I was able to see firsthand and up close that they were tremendous fun, but not really... There's got to be more to, to life than that, you know? Like, it's good, but... I know this isn't it. I know this is not the extent of what reality is. I I know that it isn't. And, um, and then I came out here um, to Los Angeles and... Uh, you know, I got to a place, thank God, where um, w- where I was able to make a, a a commitment to to those things that that I always wanted is the truth. And um, there was sort of like a, a turning point. Um, I remember it was it, it was a, a trip that I took <clears throat> to Europe and. Uh, and there was a brief part... I was in France, actually, in Paris, um, and I was, I was alone. And, and I think it was the only time in my life up until that point where I was actually alone, where I wasn't surrounded by friends or family. Um, and that was an interesting opportunity for me because it allowed me to actually think very deeply and clearly about what it is I actually wanted without being sort of bombarded by the influences and expectations of old family and friends. Sometimes those things can keep a person in a trap because they stop you from being what it is that you actually want to be or where you want to go. Because, hey, you're not that guy. Remember in third grade when you when you ate that McDonald's hamburger? That's, that's you. And it's like, wait a second, I was in third grade then, you <laughs> know? Well, what happened to growth? You know, <laughs> am I not permitted to grow at all? You know, um, so so I started thinking about my own death, and this is kind of the point I wanted to make, since we've been talking about immortality. But I want to sort of give the flip side to it, and thinking about my own death, not um, not in a morbid way. They they weren't it wasn't a suicidal type of thought, God forbid. Um, it was just the notion that I've got a finite amount of time in in this world. And I thought of myself lying on my deathbed, and I said to myself, you know what? How I feel about myself at that moment is sort of really important since that's how I'm going to be leaving the world, is with that thought. And I thought to myself, I, it's it's not going to matter to me what I've accomplished up until that moment. What's going to What's going to matter to me is how I feel about myself at that moment. And I thought to myself, projecting ahead, I thought, you know what? I really am one and I'm speaking personally right now, I'm just telling you what I was thinking, I'm really going to want to be having kept Shabbos. And if I think of myself at that point, and I think that, you know what, I never kept Shabbos, I'm going to be really bummed out about myself. And so from that perspective, of being at the end of my life, and really value, valuing that perspective of how I feel at the end of my life, looking back on my life, I started to think about what is most, what is going to be most important to me then, and let me do it now. And that actually was the chain of thoughts that led to me committing to Shabbos, for instance. And from Shabbos, you know, I mean, there were other things going on at that point, but, but, but that, was, that was a real turning point for me. So, so just to review, we live forever. But these moments, these moments are opportunities that we're never going to get again, even within the context of our immortality. These are the moments where we can get up a level of speed. Or if you want to think of that image of this sort of like the biggest nuclear power trampoline, (laughs) you know, that's now. That's now. And I I bless us all that we use these opportunities to their maximum good. And I look forward to celebrating with you all forever. (laughs) Have a great week.